we get, I guess we better get started here. We're after after seven o'clock. I can't believe it's seven o five. We don't do that. Anyway, uh, we are talking about creation. Would you fancy that? Can you believe that? We're back to Genesis. We're back to the beginning. We took a week off last week, and so now we're back into the text. And uh, we recognize that creation is foundational to everything. It's foundational to all of history. It's foundational to all of theology and all of truth and all of religion, Christianity. Um, One thing is is that a lot of people don't take um, this Genesis in a literal sense. And uh, we run into problems when we do that. Douglas Kelly, who wrote, I think, a really great book um, called Creation and Change, I've used several of his quotes and thoughts uh, all throughout chapter 1 here. He said if uh, we avoid dealing with what the Bible says about creation, uh, then there's a tendency for religion to be disconnected from the real world. Then he said there's a tendency then to put the Scripture and Christianity into a stained glass closet that doesn't impact the space-time realm. Uh, Sometimes we just put it on the back burner and it really doesn't have an effect or it has nothing uh, to do or being connected with uh, creation and how man got here. Uh, If you take creation in a mystical sense, which is uh, what a lot of people do, and even in the church today, what about everything else in the Bible then? If you take this mystically, then what can we take in a, in a literal sense? Um, it's been said too, I think uh, Kelly might have mentioned this, Christianity uh, doesn't begin with accepting Jesus as Savior. Uh, sometimes people think that's where it's all at, but it, it actually begins with seeing Him as the Creator. It's seeing Him who is the Creator, which is the foundation of truth. And based upon that, then we can see that God is sovereign. And everything else flows from that sovereign God view. Uh, So we have to take uh, Genesis uh, the way that uh, God intended. And we are at the sixth day of creation. And it's extra special because we're at the place where it deals with us, man, mankind. And um, when you think of the crown of creation, of course, the angels right now are above us, but man, as far as what the Bible is concerned with, is a a very key player in uh, the Scripture uh, with what God has in His uh, plan. So He's quite the apex of creation, man is. And uh, a very important part. What we've seen so far has been incredible, what God has created, but then at the last here, at the end of chapter 1, he brings about man. And from this point on, the story of Genesis is the story of man. A lot of ugliness, we see sin, and that makes quite an impact on man, but we also see that man is the very object of uh, God's special love and grace and mercy. We see the redemption story here, and it's getting ready to unfold as he briefly tells a little bit about the doctrine of man. And as we look at this, it's it's good to know what the real truth is, where man came from, and uh, what uh, he is doing now, and where he's going. Isn't it good to know that? We take it for granted sometimes, but we're unique in God's creation, and we are superior to the rest of creation uh, the animals and the birds and the fish, uh, we were made in God's image. And we kind of looked at that uh, last week. Um, we remember that uh, he said, let us make man in our image. I said last week, last time we did this, two weeks ago. Let us, and we dealt with the Trinity there, the, the divine councils. We went back and saw that uh, when you have a let us, Uh, being uh, in a conversation and communication, then we have something that is rather incredible. It's God speaking uh, in His three persons where you have the whole triune God in on that. Uh, He created and um, God the Father wanted to have people created and then He was going to redeem them and of some people and then give those people to his son as a love gift, being the bride that he would give to the bridegroom. And uh, so 
we're special creatures in that sense. We are we are not God, absolutely not. But it's nice to know where we fit in God's plan. Quite incredible. Let's uh, start with a word of prayer. Father, we thank You. Thank You for this book of Genesis. Thank You for letting us in on how You started this world, how man got here, how animals and plants and the rest of creation. And we thank You so much for revealing that to us. You are a God who communicates. uh, A God who cares about us and wants us you want us to know who you are and what you have planned so we just rejoice in that and we revel in it we just we we thank you lord for giving us um a mind and giving us the holy spirit to know you to know you better so that we can give you more glory for that is the reason that we're really here in Jesus name amen well, we started in uh, verse 26, I believe. We'll look at that. and uh, We're scheduled to go through verse 31. We'll see where we go on tonight. We, we started five minutes late, so here it is. We're, we're through ten minutes already, so we've got to get going, right? Verse 26, Then God said, Don't you like that? God spoke. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food." Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. Then God saw everything that He had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. We're there. We're day six. Special, isn't it? And, you know, you just read through here, and you say, well, I've read this many times, but every time you read God's Word, especially, you know, where you maybe you've been studying at it, just seems even more important than you ever knew before. And so here here we have it. You know, you'll notice uh, in verse 27, man is created. So God created man. He's going to say this three times. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. How many times? Three times. Created. There's something that He's trying to get across. (laughs) I wonder why. He created us. Uh, Hmm. God did that, huh? Well, there's another thing that he does. In verse 26 and 27, he keeps repeating something, and this time it's dealing with God's image. Those two verses. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. Four times, three of them you'll see image, and then you'll see the word likeness. And we looked at that last week, and most of your um, commentators and writers on this will say that really in the Hebrew, uh, you have a parallel of the Hebrew words image and likeness. They're very, very, very similar. And so it's not trying to make a difference here uh, more than what the similitude is. They're very... uh, Similar, very much the same. Man is created in God's image four times. And he's talking about God created. We saw that like three times in that one verse. And then in 26 and 28, uh, it's dealing with man being 
sovereign here on the earth in the sense that he's the king of this. He's to have dominion. In 26, I believe it is, right? Um, yeah. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So there's once. He comes back in verse 28, says it again. Then God blessed them. God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So he keeps repeating things, and there's a reason. And I think today that we live here, and uh, in spite of all the different things that come out from the secular world, and then even in the Christian institutions, when it's really all said and done, I think he's making an impactful statement of saying he created, and uh, not only that, it's in his image, and we are to take dominion over it. So, I believe that there is something to be said there. Did you know when you're dealing with image, and we'll cover that. We actually kind of did last time. We talked about image and us being image bearers. We are carrying the very image of of God as we walk here on earth. Even unbelievers are bearing the image of God, whether they know it or not. They don't want to admit it. but um, And we'll get to that, definitely, and that's in one sense. But uh, we were created on a pattern that... Uh, is to be like the divine, a divine pattern in the sense that we are made in His image. Um, before we get into that, I think the best way to picture this is is Christ. Jesus Christ. He's the example of the perfect man. If you want to talk about man, the doctrine of man, I think one place to look at, rather than the failure of man, is first of all, look at the pattern, the way that it really is supposed to be. The perfect man who never sinned, and, of course, he was 100% God, too, but he was 100% man. Um, Jesus Christ, first of all, he had fellowship with the Father. Now, we know that we are being made in the image of Christ, right? Romans 8 to 29. That is what everything is about. We're being made in the image of Christ. So, let's look at him. Well, what kind of fellowship did he have with his Father? A perfect communion, a perfect union. They were in total agreement, always. So you have to think of John 17. You have to think of a lot of passages, but John 17 is great. That's the intercessory prayer. And as he's speaking to the Father on the night before he's going to be crucified, and as he prays for the disciples, the apostles, he also prays even for all of the church, and that even means us, in 21, he prays, uh, verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Look at this. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That's a pretty good fellowship they have going there. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one, just as we are one. A perfect unity. The Trinity. There's the Father and the Son, and of course the Holy Spirit. A unity where they have always been in agreement, eternity past, present now, and on into the future, and they will never have a disagreement. Now, that is amazing, isn't it? Perfect, perfect fellowship with the Father. And another thing that he did, and he, he's a person of the Trinity. We, we said that um, in, in the Trinity, three persons, one substance there, right? Um, he obeyed the Father every moment, constantly. He obeyed the Father. Look in John 5, verse 30. Many times he's, his will is to do the will of the Father. And so he has a role to do. And it is to be obedient. I can of myself, John 5.30, do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Now we're looking at the perfect example of a man. Jesus Christ had perfect fellowship with the Father, 
and he also had perfect obedience to the Father as far as his will was concerned. But it wasn't that it was uh, an obedient thing to do, but he didn't really enjoy doing it. Uh, He loved the Father. And, of course, the Father loves the Son. I mean, but not only does he love the Father, he has a tremendous love for his fellow people like us, the chosen ones, humans, he has a love for. So, here is the image that we can look at and say, this is the image that we are to bear. Now we get into a little bit of practicality, right? As we look at Christ... And we see this perfect man who has perfect fellowship, perfect obedience, and perfect love. And we say, that's what I'm being made of. That's where I am heading. Romans 8.29, that is the whole reason that we're here, to be made in the image of Christ. So therefore, we'll be able to give glory to God in the most perfect way. So, um, each of us, Each of us, we have the powers of personality. We're dealing with personhood or personality when we talk about image. We have the powers of personality that will make it possible to worship, to love, to obey God. We have a personality to do that. He made us so that we could worship Him and serve Him, obey Him. So when we're using this personality that He has given, uh, we're most fully, I think, satisfied in ourselves uh, of what God has done, but we're doing what God intended to be done. So the, uh, the image bears. Attributes. We have the attributes of the personality of God, the, the communicable attributes. Uh, Janice, you guys have been covering the communicable attributes on the Tuesday night study. Can you, can you name me a few? You didn't know I was going to ask you that right off the top of the head. Yeah. How about how about to start off with with love? God is love, right? Do we have that attribute? Do we are, we, we can do that, right? Uh huh. Bingo. Boy, that's perfect right there. Love, joy, peace. God has all those, but that means He transfers those or communicates those to us that we too can do those things that God does. Now there are certain attributes that He has that we'll never have, and He'll never give to us. Of course. Uh, well, let's let's say let, well, let's start off with his omnipresence. How about his omnipotence, right? Omniscience, and uh, of course his perfect dealing with wrath. How about his perfect justice? Well, we there's a communicable attribute in the sense that we are to be just, we are to be righteous. But when you really take all of these to the top. We'll never fulfill all of those anyway. It's only through Christ that that's, that is done, that we can even do those. But um, God is a good God. He expects us to be good. Uh, he is a merciful God. We are to practice mercy, right? Grace, patience, all those. Anyway, we have the, the um, possibility to reason. Reasoning is what we have. Animals don't have that kind of reasoning. No other part of creation outside of... Uh, you know the angels, but I'm thinking of here, right here on Earth. We think in an, uh, an abstract way. We we appreciate beauty. You know, those kind of things you don't see in the plants. You don't see in the animals. This is something special that He's given. So man has a mind. He has emotions. He has will. What are we talking about? The very image of God. Those are the things. Some of the things that that God uh, has. He, personality is what links man. To God, and I think we covered last week the ontological aspect, uh, dealing with His being, uh, His personhood. Uh, he made us persons, so that we would be able to have a relationship with Him, to be able to communicate, to be able to understand Him to a degree. Uh, we were never uh, made to even be alone, because we are people who communicate. We communicate with God. We communicate with His people. And uh, so, uh, relationship is is a lot to do with this personhood, being able to uh, think and reason, communicate, the ability to speak, use languages, all the different languages that are in the earth. It's incredible what man can do, what God has equipped him with. 
so God is a speaking God, and He's made His people to be able to speak to Him and to speak to others. We're bearing the image of God. And even, like I say, even unbelievers can do this. You know, they, they, they can communicate. They don't necessarily communicate with God, but yet there's still something left there. And we'll, we'll get into that in a moment. What happened at, at sin? How did that affect us? Uh, so that's dealing with personality. Uh, did we cover morality last week? We might have touched on it a little bit. We're kind of going over a little bit. That, that includes freedom, it includes responsibility. Man has a conscience. Man knows basically right from wrong. He should. Of course, when you have no absolutism drummed into your head, then you don't really know what's right or wrong. It's whatever you want, right, they say. But they really have the the capacity for moral behavior. They can behave morally in a right way as a a basis. It's not going to fulfill God's law, but they can act and uh, they can tell... um, what can be wrong? Uh, man has virtue about him. Man has uh, righteousness about him to a degree. Uh, hey, we understand sin, don't we? We understand obedience. We understand disobedience. Uh, we have the capacity to do right, uh, capacity to do wrong. We have the capacity to love. Uh, we have the capacity to even know God. Uh, he's given us quite... Uh, quite the uh, thinking ability, uh, but we can know right from wrong. So we get the ethical or the, the moral aspect there, that which is God is righteous. He knows what's right and wrong. And of course, even our conscience that's built into us. Now, those are things that uh, would be something that's related to the uh, likeness of God or the image. There's one other thing but there's a problem today. It's called spirituality. And that is another aspect and the highest aspect of being created in the image of God. Man was originally made in the image of God, but because of what happened at sin, the image was marred. Marred drastically by sin. There are vestiges that remain, though. I always like that word. R.C. Sproul has said it many times. Vestiges. There's something still remaining. Even with that, we know that the image was marred. It doesn't look like it was and what God intended, but there's something still intact. There's something still there. Man has fallen. The effects are seen in the body. Can anybody agree with that? <laughs> As you get older, Kim, uh, yeah, surgery coming up, right? The effects of the body. We, we eventually die. We know that. So, no no argument with that. How about the soul? Or uh, uh, mind, the emotions. How about your mind? Was your mind affected at sin? Oh, yeah. We don't think anywhere near what Adam originally had whenever he was created before. Yeah, it's affected, isn't it? It's been marred. There's there's vestiges there that still remain. <laughs> the emotions, God gave us emotions. They're good, but they're affected too. Boy, they can run us rampant and run us around. How about our wills? Yeah, they were wills were affected too. What about man's spirit? That's how you commune with God. It died. The spirit of man died as soon as Adam and Eve sinned. Now, when the fall happened, man ran from God. He's still running. That's his nature. He doesn't want God. He doesn't want the things of God. He doesn't want His truth. And now that's why we're in a world today that's what? Almost exactly opposite. It seems like everything is upside down. Everything that's in here is what the world disagrees with, or vice versa. And so, it's uh, it's marred very heavily. Matter of fact, it's not only marred in the spiritual realm. They cannot communicate with God unless He what regenerates them. He has to bring them back to life. They're, the spirit was dead. Adam died as soon as sin happened. There, physically he didn't, but spiritually there was a death there. Yeah, Kim. So what happens to the spirit of man 
um, when we are saved. That's where we're headed. <laughs> we're getting there. Hang on. Hang on. Should be there in a couple minutes. I hope. Because we can't leave us there, can we? We can't, we can't stay there. Donald Gray Barnhouse. Anybody heard of him? Wrote quite a few um, books on uh, Romans. I think about six volumes set. I think he was the guy before James Montgomery Boyce, I believe. Am I saying that right? I think that was right. James Montgomery Boyce was at uh, 10th Street Presbyterian in Philadelphia. You guys remember that, right? Uh, Barnhouse put it this way. It's like a three-story house. And it was bombed during wartime. The bomb destroyed the top floor entirely. Wiped it out. It fell down, debris did anyway, down to the second floor. So you have debris. It severely damages the second floor. Severely. Almost wiped out itself. And then whatever is there now with those two floors and, and all the damage there, the weight of those two floors now are making effect on the walls that are right underneath down there on that first floor. And it's doomed to destruction. It's going to collapse eventually. It's kind of like the body. The body is going to eventually collapse. We know that. Um, so he compares that with Adam. And Barnhouse said his body was the dwelling of the soul and the spirit. Or if you want to say soul slash spirit, get into the... Uh, we might talk about that after a while. When he fell, the spirit was entirely destroyed. The, the soul containing the mind, the emotions, and the will is ruined. It still has some kind of vestige of the remains... But there's not much left there, but at least it's still there. It's something that where that was existing. And the body is destined to a final collapse. Our bodies are going to die. We will get new bodies. We will get resurrected bodies. But these bodies right here, uh, we know that's going to happen. Yeah, Ryan. I have difficulty saying, thinking that the, soul, the spirit is destroyed and gone. Um, you know, like in Romans, whenever we're regenerated, it talks about that we become alive to God and dead to sin. And so I've had the category of we were dead to God spiritually and alive to sin. And then we're reborn and now we're dead to sin and alive to God. You know, like we're, right. we were dead in the sense that spiritually we wouldn't communicate with God, wouldn't see the glory of God. But we were very much alive to serving sin and serving Satan, right? Right. Spiritually, in Ephesians 2, we're following the prince of, the, of this world. So, if we're not doing that in our spirit, if an unregenerate person isn't doing that spiritually, how are they doing it? In what sense are they doing how, how are they doing? As in, so, if they don't have a spirit, okay. unregenerate people follow and serve Satan in his, in his dominion and kingdom. Okay, you mean they would have like a a, a spirit of of, yeah, of Satan in a sense. It seems they have a spirit that's just completely dead right. in its relationship it's dead. with God. Right. But it's it's not, not gone. It's not like it's not disappeared. Yeah, I think and I think probably what Barnhouse would be right. going to and I might be uh maybe interpreting wrong. I think probably where he's headed there is that we're dead in the sense of being able to spiritually communicate with God. And the Ephesians too, you just pointed out there, were dead um, to God in that sense. I think that's probably in his analogy. But it's still there. <coughs> is there a spirit there? And this is where you run into the dichotomy, trichotomy. Yeah, I'm a dichotomy. So. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and so, and I'm not even trying to press that trichotomy here. You know, believe me. It's the, and and I, hey, we could take, uh, boy, we could take weeks. Talking about the dichotomy, trichotomy, and it's nothing to um, to split on. Even if we, I don't even know where I stand on it. I mean, I've been back and forth about ten thousand different times. Barb's got a question now. What's a dichotomy? What's trichotomy? Yeah. <laughs> body, soul, spirit, or just body and soul slash spirit. Okay. Our soul and spirit two different things. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Soul and the spirit would be the same thing. Uh, the trichotomous. Would would separate the soul and the spirit. They're they're kind of almost in the same compartment, but no, boom, boom, they split them. 
it's and like I say, it would never be anything that should cause device uh, divisive uh, problems in a, in a church, and, and people can split over everything. But believe me, down through church history, there have been a lot of controversy over that. And uh, like I say, I <laughs> every time I get into that, I just get lost. But I I think what it almost sounds like Barnhouse would be putting it as a, a as a trichotomist, and I'm not even so sure if he even was. But I think he's drawing an analogy here. There's, there's something that's dead there, and and so if we can put it that way, does that sound does that sound cool? We're dead to God. Yeah. Okay. Whatever that is. Word. Yeah. I think it it, it matters. Um, I don't know. People people really wrestle with what does it mean to be dead in our sins and trespasses. Uh, that has a lot to do with believing in irresistible grace and election and all that. So right. You can't you can't respond to to God. Concept. Yeah. But it's, yeah. It just seems to be that, yeah, you, you're totally irresponsive to fill in the blank. In this case, we're dead to God. And is, it, is it possible, you know, being a fairly new convert, I didn't know that I was dead to God or anything yeah. until I became a Christian. Well, if you're not, then you don't know. And how, does, how do you ever, you know, unless... You know, God will bring you to your knees eventually, I guess, or bring you to the end of yourself, and then you'll find out. But if if you don't, then how do you ever know you're not on the you're not allowed to know? Man is, yeah. <laughs> I have a... Somebody left a, a deal on my computer on on the screen. Although you can't, I don't have it on there now, but it, it's... Man is created in this... He's in this... He's in this box. And it's sin, I mean, immorality and everything, you know. And But yet he doesn't know that he's imprisoned to it until somebody gets him out of there. It's yeah. the bunion, you know, everybody's living in city destruction. Burn, yeah, but they don't realize it. exactly. Yeah. So what you think this, this guy's saying that you're talking about, you think he's just saying more or less that... Um, the spirit is dead is more or less saying... We just can't. We can't. We we can't ourselves respond to God on our own. Right. We that we're we're dead to that. To yeah. That's what's been destroyed in that sense. That now we still have our. We still, as far as our soul is concerned, uh, if you, if you want to put soul and, and spirit and make them equal, in a lot of places they are. Okay. But if we want to make that equal, part of that soul then, and you see see what I mean. You know, you can take this two or three, whatever. But what happens? Part of that soul Probably now cannot. And built, uh, yeah. In, in a way, maybe it's 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 not that it's maybe dead, but it's behind this wall, and, and you're, there's no getting through without God knocking that wall down. God's going to have to come in and uh, to, to 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 give it life, to give that part life, the, the spiritual part of life. Um, what is a soul? A soul you think of it's it's your personhood that we were talking about, the, the mind, the emotions, the will. And we we would agree that all of that has been affected, hasn't haven't it, by by sin. Um, I'm going to drop down to number five for a moment, and I'm going to get to Kim's original question by coming back on the back door, or front door. <laughs> Man's created holy originally, Adam and Eve. Okay, they are holy. They're they're set apart without. There's no sin whatsoever. They're they're innocent. They're in an innocent state. Originally righteous. Okay. Uh, there's not a, a a vestige that they have to worry about there. Now, the effect of sin, we know that it was tremendous. After sin and going to Genesis 6, early on we see what man was really like in his nature after that fall. Uh, then the Lord, as verse 5, saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that, look at this, Every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. Now I'm looking here, every intent and continually, only evil continually. That's telling me this. his nature is wicked. That's his nature now uh, of man after the fall. 
Okay, before the fall, man was in perfect innocent. Matter of fact, it was very good, God said. So, what do we have going on here? Well, what you have is the effect of sin, and not only is no one holy, but none is capable of regaining that holiness on their own. Because we've already said they they can't now, right? Okay. They could before. They could communicate. Adam was... Uh, walking and talking with God, Adam and Eve were. I mean, they had a relationship with Him somehow that we can't imagine yet. Um, but one day we will, and um, it'll even be better because we'll be in a glorified state. They weren't in a glorified state at that time, uh, but the fact of the matter is uh, they were in great condition there. But what we do is we have to look at the condition after the fall. When sin happened, we'll borrow a little bit from Augustine here, if you don't mind. We've done this before. It's on your sheets this time. I think I've got it. Uh, we're down on number five already. I kind of skipped there. But before the fall, you could put, Augustine would refer to this way, and a lot of your reformers, uh, Calvin and such, um, would say, okay, Adam would then passe non pecare. That means he had the ability to not sin. The ability to not sin. He hadn't sinned yet, and he could keep on. In, in one sense, that's what they're saying. There's another one that's passe pecari, which means he has the ability to sin, and he did sin, didn't he? And you can break this down and really get into a, a real good theological debate, especially if you want to go the way that Edwards did. I don't know if anybody ever familiar with Edwards, but we're not going to get into that because this could take for hours, and I'm not so sure what it was that he said after it was all done, but all I can say is that John Gerstner said that Jonathan Edwards, who is one of my heroes and was, was his hero, painted himself into a corner trying to say, well, what happened at sin and why did it happen and, and what about this passe picari, <laughs> this ability to sin? When did that happen? What, was he given it? Okay, so we'll stop there. Okay. What about Adam? Okay, he has two, he has a choice then, doesn't he? I would call this, in what they call in the vernacular t- today, uh, free will. <laughs> he really had free will. Uh, and so he made the choice spiritually, because he could do that. The fall happens, and now you have non-passe, non-picari. No ability to not sin. You got two du- you got a double negative. <laughs> what does that mean? He's going to sin. What did Genesis 6 5 say? Continually. Every evil thought is there constantly. You can say, well, people are usually, they're usually pretty good, even unbelievers. Yeah, but what is their motive about? Are they there to give glory to God? Well, in Romans, I think it says in chapter 1, you're not giving glory to God. You are in a terrible state. Unbelievers don't give glory to God. They can't. Because they're dead spiritually, right? Okay. So. We've covered passe non pecari, and then we've uh, covered passe pecari, able to sin, able not to sin, and then not able not to sin. Well, here's where the good news comes in, Kim. Okay, before you know Christ, you're not able not to sin, which means you're just going to sin when? Continually. Your, what is your nature? Total sin nature. Now, Christ then is the one who brings the righteousness to us. He's the one who forgives us. He has done it all. Uh, We can be declared righteous because of Christ's work. And now we get into a different position. We go back to the way it was before the fall when He puts us into righteousness in the sense that now we are able to not sin, but we also can sin in Christ, we have um, free will to choose the things of Christ, or we can be disobedient and not honor Him and then suffer the consequences that goes along with that. <laughs> but if you're in Christ, then you're in Christ. Fantastic. Great. Your sins are forgiven. You're justified. Glory to God. But we still have the battle with sin. Uh, the choice is there. Um, one of these days, the best news, we have the good news. Now, does that, does that kind of answer it, Kim? Is that where you were headed while ago? 
Christ comes. All right. No, I've just been bombarded right. with a lot of stuff here, so let's just come on. Heavy stuff. Okay. You good, good news comes in. All right. We're wretches before Christ. All right. When God saves a person, He saves the whole person. That doesn't mean we're going to get uh, the mind that Adam had, but now as we renew our minds, as it says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, now we start thinking the things of God. We can do that because the Spirit of God who has quickened us, now we have Him residing in us, and now we can think the things of God. We have... um, uh, Our bodies are not going to be renewed, but they they will eventually. takes time, we'll have a glorification there. Um, but the, the salvation, the new birth, is where it starts. That's where it has to be. Uh, the body will be redeemed. Uh, okay. But the soul is now made new. So B, on the outline, B is Adam and us after the fall. B, are you on five? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Adam and us after the fall, right? Not able not to sin. Or, or, I mean, Before Christ, right, that's before. the way everybody is. Right, okay. And then C and D would be... Adam before the fall. Able to sin and uh, able to not sin. Right, okay. Yeah. And E is Jesus. Well, that's God. No ability to sin. But, (laughs) here's what we look forward to. When we're glorified, we also will be non-passe peccari. We have no free will in heaven. That's exactly right. Don't you love it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't ever want free will like that, right? That's even, that's the best news I've heard. I don't have to worry about it. But you know what? You know the funny thing is that most people who are big proponents like, of that are okay with that. They're okay with that. Yeah. God exactly. Strange, isn't it? <laughs> and you know what? They don't even have the choice of where they're going to live at there. And what it's even going to look like. They don't even know. But you know what? I don't think that bothers them too much. Right. <laughs> you know, isn't that crazy to think about? Like, just It's easy to say, uh, not, not able not to sin. And, okay, but just take that to a, to, you know, put some feet on that. And, and the implications of that are that every unregenerate person we know has zero ability ever to think one single good thought. Or do one single, you know, Righteous. act of that, that has any merit before God whatsoever. Like they, hmm. nothing. You know, I think we we get that on a big level that they're not working off their their death before God. But but to just think, I mean, nothing. Like that's crazy. You know, Mother Teresa never. If, Say it. Say it. Yeah. She she accepted all other religions. Right. What's that tell you? She like she accomplished good, but she at the other hand, but she never did a good thing. Was it for the glory of God? For the glory of God. Ultimately. At the end. It sounds judgmental, but yeah. many times and and I've seen the quotes and I know I'm not trying to play God and, and God is a judge. But I will say, anybody that says that all other religions and Hinduism... She didn't try to win converts uh, from Hinduism uh, to Christianity. She didn't want to mess with them because they were in okay in their religion. She was leaving them in that situation that you were just talking about where they were dead in their sins and they couldn't do anything good. They were in that box. And, but because... When you, when you get the mentality that all uh, all religions are on the right road and all of us are going to be in heaven, that is calling Jesus a liar. His work on the cross was absolutely useless. I cannot call them a brother or a sister in Christ when they deny one of the very basic elements of Christianity, regardless of what religion they are involved with. That's Hinduism, Buddhism, Mormonism. That's the whole thing nowadays, coexist. That's what uh, you see on the, on the bumper stickers. Yeah. Coexist, and matter of fact, I think it's it's a lot more comfortable if you're sitting by somebody where you work at. Uh, and, and granted, we want to be good Christians and representing Christ there, but at the same time, realizing, hey, this person needs Christ. They're not saved at all. They're not trusting in Christ to get to heaven. Yeah. Right. That's right. So when God makes us aware of who He is and He desires us to commune with Him and now the Spirit of God has now regenerated us, this is where we have our true worth. 
and we're back to where God wants us and we're being shaped, we're being molded right now into the image of Christ and one day we'll be, as 1 John 3 says, we will be like Him. We'll see Him and be like Him. Wow. Anyway, we're the bridegroom. The bridegroom will be presented to the Son by the Father. That's His love gift to Him. Wow. Anyway, um, so we were created holy. Mankind was, but not until you can see the cross means everything, doesn't it? Now, what about man as far as his responsibility is concerned as we look at verse 26? Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. What uh, the implications are, as we look at this great God who created us, and then if you're a Christian, you've been recreated, haven't you? We are made new. We're new creations. Second Corinthians chapter 5. New creations. If He's the Creator and we're the created, then that means we have a responsibility. The implications are very serious. It means we belong to God. That means He owns us. Every bit of us. How would we ever be free? And why would we want to be free if we actually are owned by Him? Um, You remember the money, uh, the taxes, uh, and uh, there was Caesar on there, and he said, "Give un- render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and give unto God what is His, what He owns. Well, give your money to Caesar. That's His picture on there. That's His image, okay, since we're dealing with the, the image of God. That's His image. But give yourselves to God. Give yourselves to God. You're made in the image of Him, Romans 8.29. So we belong to God. Another implication is... We are to pattern ourselves after the person of Christ. He's the pattern. And then we're to experience fully the, the humanity that we have uh, in, in having uh, the relations that we are to have. I think of Second uh, Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, looking in the mirror right now, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the what? The same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We are being transformed right now as we're letting the Word of God and the Spirit of God penetrate into our lives we're being changed even right now. Being changed to be more and more like Christ. Uh, so, I, what, a, what an interesting thing as we experience what's happening to us. Um, and also, we see that um, we are to take dominion, right? In our jobs. Let, let's take just a, a regular job that we work at, whatever we do. If, if, if we're retired, it's whatever we do during the day. Probably have more things to do when you're retired than you do whenever uh, you work. You know, there's thousands of things always fine to do. But whatever we do, we're to do it to the glory of God. And we recognize God has given us this to do so we can, we're actually serving Him. And we find out also that human lives are valuable. And whether they're believers, unbelievers, whether they, they treat you bad or whether they not, there's still a life that God put here on earth and we are to value that life. Now, that goes against the grain, doesn't it? How are you to value somebody's life whenever they can make your life miserable? That's an incredible thought. But we can do that. And then... Uh, the image, actually, it's it's universal in, in mankind all across the universe. That, that image is still there, even though maybe they haven't been born again, but the vestiges remain. 
There's still something there. Bears the image. Okay, let's go back. We're talking about dominion. This is a responsibility. Uh, man has fallen, but uh, even in his fallenness, he's still responsible. Uh, he's been given dominion over the created order. And, uh, of course, to, to, as far as Adam is concerned, even before the fall, he's to have dominion. Even later after that, we'll find out, I think, in the chapter 9, or after the flood, there's still to have dominion. Even though the, there's been the fall and there's sin, um, certain animals can really create havoc. And it doesn't seem like we are having order over them sometimes. But um, we still have um, some of that remaining. We are to uh, take dominion over. We are to continue with that. In chapter 2, verse 19, um, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So he gives the names to the creatures. And so he's given a responsibility. And uh, he is to um, take dominion. He, and he gives names. So uh, we, we see that something is happening right there immediately. Did you know that was at the same day? And he named all the animals that day. Martin Luther said this in his commentary on Genesis. Before Adam's sin, his eyes were so sharp and clear that they surpassed those of the eagle. I don't know about how scriptural this is, but I'm telling you, what it does is it elevates your your thinking of how beautiful man was and the things that he could do, the capabilities that he had. He goes on to say he was stronger than the lions and bears, and he handled them the way that we handle puppies. <laughs> Think of his intelligence. He must have been a great philosopher. So some of Luther's thoughts... Uh, I definitely would not go where Benny Hinn did, which uh, went far beyond this. He's over the birds, right? Therefore, he can fly like the birds. So therefore, Adam flew. Uh, We're not going to go that far. But I think Luther has something there. that He must have had tremendous eyesight, hearing, the intelligence that Adam had must have been more incredible than anybody that we know that's intelligent today. And and most of the people that consider themselves to be intelligent turn out to be some of the people that do some of the stupidest things. Interesting. He did all that without Encyclopedia Britannica. That's right. It was all right here, wasn't it? Yeah. I think because of sin, man actually distorts this. He, he, matter of fact, he can try to dominate creation. He can try to control the weather. I've heard up in Alaska they've tried to um, make it rain more by putting stuff up into the air and they've done all sorts of experimental things. I don't know how true that is. I don't really know. Uh, God is going to control the weather, but mankind is going to try to do everything that he can. Sometimes God might say, okay, yeah, little man, go ahead and do it and see what happens. <laughs> Watch this. Uh, man can violate creation. He can uh, subject, uh, really, it to his own selfish needs, I guess, his ends. But Or he can go to the other extreme. He can fall down and, and worship the animals, all the creatures. And you, you think of that, and that's what's happening today. You know, in, uh, We have government agencies that um, have wetlands, you know, there's probably something to that that they started, but there's an agenda behind all that. And, do they, you know, save the whale, save this, save that, and they become more important than mankind himself. You know, or on the same level. Well, if you come from a monkey, then what's the difference between us and a monkey, right? This isn't to say anything about myself at all. <laughs> but I can relate to that because before I started walking back with God and stuff again... Um, I was, and I still am, I, animals, 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 you know, I love animals, but um, I was doing and looking into doing whatever I could for animals. What, what can I do? What can I do to help here with animals? What can I do to help here with animals? And um, now I'm like, I, I, so because I got involved with all that, I get all this literature all the time, still in the mail, all the time. And I see it and I'm like, yeah, I feel about that, but 
there's a lot more I can do for people that I need to be doing instead of, and putting my time to instead of this, even though, you know, I love what God made. And, right. And, and so, I mean, <coughs> yeah, I was, I, was, I was over here just, you know, like you're saying, you know, and I, and I think some of it is good, but it, it gets way out there, you know, as mm-hmm. far as what we're putting our time and our money and everything, talents to. I think you just said it there. That's that's really good to put because now you're seeing the priority. Animals, yeah, they're really good because God made them and made them for us. You know, really did. We're to have rule over them, but at the same time, and, and we, we want to, you know, whatever we can do to help out if, if we're drawn that way, but never over people, right? And that's that's uh, that's exactly right. That's trying to get, get it back in the, the proper perspective. Um, anyway. Um, that's the animals. How about uh, the garden? Well, I'll tell you what. I have a fallen yard. <laughs> I'll tell you. It's a great example of fallenness. Uh, you go out there in my grass. I don't even know if it's grass. It's this brown stuff, and I had it through the summertime, and the moles just went crazy in our yard this year. I mean, front yard, backyard, side yard, out in the field. I mean, it's, they're just everywhere. And I don't even know if I even have any grass anymore, to be honest with you. I don't know what this stuff is that came up. It just replaced my grass. <laughs> it's fallen. It's a perfect example. The weeds, they come up in the driveway. You put rocks on there, and they just keep coming up. <laughs> you can put concrete over those things, and they still pop up. Um, but chapter 2, verse 15, and we're, we're going to close here pretty quick here. Um, the Lord took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. That's before before sin. That's before weeds. It's before all the nasty stuff. This had to be the greatest job ever that mankind ever had. He didn't even sweat over tending this garden. It had to be a breeze. You couldn't wait to get out there and tend to this garden because there was really nothing to really worry about. You might make some place look a little bit better. You probably couldn't take care of all of it, but in that Garden of Eden and where you'd put them, it must have been one awesome place. I think it probably beat Thomas Kincaid. Did you know Thomas Kincaid's pictures are fake? You know, he has pictures that are growing like in April, and then he has pictures there of plants that are growing in August. You know, they only come out at that time, and everything in between. Everything that ever has come out, and he brushes those in there, and you go, wow, what a place. Can't be that good. But the Garden of Eden, well, (laughs) much better. But anyway, you know, the Eastern religions, they don't really tend the gardens. Matter of fact, there's a place up in uh, Iowa. There's a university there, and it's so full of New Age type stuff. And it's an Eastern religion. Uh, I think it's from India. Might be dealing with Hinduism. But in, in the summer, they don't cut the grass there. Uh, I didn't see it, but my friend Kendall Adams, uh, is a pastor in Burlington, uh, he had talked of that, and he said, "Yeah, that uh, you, you go. People just go there just to see this place, so that they don't grow their grass or mow their grass." And because they don't tend the gardens, they uh, mysticism, um, industrialism. We see what they do; they can take to the extreme and just destroy the the environment. Environmentalists, though, you know what do they do? You know, extremes, one way or the other. No balance. Got to have balance. I think that's really what this is all about. This is this is balance and being able to take care of stuff that God has given us that we're we are to do. And uh, when you think about it, there's no secular. Ism in Christianity. Everything that we do, whether we're tending the garden, whether we're working at our job, whether we're just um, talking to a friend on the phone or getting real spiritual and going to church and Bible study, it, it, you don't separate. You know, there's no secularism. Uh, everything is sacred, isn't it? Everything is a high spiritual importance. To tend the garden is a high spiritual importance. So when when next time you start taking care of some flowers and saying, maybe I'm wasting my time, well, think, well, you know what? This can be for the glory of God, though, too. And these things remind me of where? Paradise. Even though the little glimpse. You know, you get irises, uh, but irises only come out for what? A couple weeks? Come up with some tremendous, beautiful colors that you've never even seen. Well, this is amazing. And then next day, it's like, Wow, what happened? They're gone. Just like that. Yeah. God is saying, hey, listen, there's a lot more of this where this comes from. Much better. Daily work. 
Man is God's steward, and that's the idea of taking dominion. Who has dominion right now? Because of the fall, though, really? Who has it? Yeah. Uh, John twelve thirty one. We are still to do our duty that we have, but uh, it really got tainted when this happened. And Jesus said in John twelve thirty one. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. In one sense, he was beaten at the cross. Uh, the only problem is is that uh, the claim will be made later. But at least uh, we see him as being the ruler of this world. We were the rulers of this world. God gave us sovereign rule and we lost it. Well, when Christ comes back, I mean, he will almost... He's already beaten Satan. Uh, but look in John 14.30. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing of me. He has no part of me. You know, The ruler of this world is coming. He's going to really take over, but uh, I want to tell you, <laughs> I've, I've actually beaten him, he says. 16.11. And it says, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Christ judged him. And then you get, it's almost like you're going back and forth here. Is Okay, he's judged. Why is he still roaming about, right? Why do we still have battles with him? And I think it's in First John, it says, the whole world lies in the lap of the wicked one. Uh, his time is coming. And uh, he will be... He is defeated. He's just on his last breath, uh, thinking that he has won. He really is not. Anyway, um, guess what? We didn't get to finish the chapter, but that's okay. We still have more to look at. The Bible is the living and active Word of God. Thank you guys for coming out. Coming out on Monday night. Appreciate it.